0: Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 10. As we continue in this wonderful Gospel, this wonderful uh, account of the ministry and the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Chapter 10 has been very rich for us as a church in this timing this summer of looking and focusing on uh, world evangelism. And I love that term. That's something that Tony and Gene Floyd have helped me think through. When we think about the idea of missions, unfortunately, if you've been in the church for a long time, the idea of missions has kind of taken on this romance. But really what we're thinking about when we are going out into the world, we are evangelizing. In other words, proclaiming the gospel, preaching the good news. And that is at the heart of what we call missions. It's also at the heart of what we are as the church. Evangelism is what we are called to do. If we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and if we are made new in him, we have a challenge. We have a job to do, and that is to proclaim the good news ourselves to everyone that we encounter. Evangelism is preaching the good news. That's what that means. And so Jesus in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel is sending his 12 apostles out to preach the gospel And He's preparing them for this ministry. But also, the second layer of this, chapter 10, is that Jesus is preparing them for their lives in ministry even after He departs. And so, if you're able to stand, we are in verses 26 through 33 today. Let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Matthew, chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. The words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you have spoken to us through your Son and through Matthew's Gospel here in a way that we as your church need to hear. Dear God, I pray that today the words of your Son would just sink deep into our souls, that you would stir up within us confidence in this message of reconciliation through the blood of Christ, that you would stir within us a confidence and a boldness to be the church that you have called us to be, that, that we would be the, tr- the Christians that you have made us to be. Lord, we live in a, a fallen world that is dangerous, and that danger can cause fear. And Father, we come to you humbly admitting that we are scared, and I pray, God, that you would challenge us with the words of your Son to have faith and to trust whatever you've called us to is enough. Use this time for your glory. Use this time to stir us, to to challenge us, to change us. Reveal within us, Lord, we pray, where we have not trusted you and where we have failed to preach your word. Challenge us, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Has anyone here ever been afraid of the dark? How many of us as adults are still afraid of the dark? Darkness and lights. If you've ever been afraid of the dark, or perhaps you're afraid of the dark now as, as an adult, uh, you're in good company, because if, you were, if, you've, if you've been familiar with the classic comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, it's not really still in publication, but it's still out there, and, and if you've got the books, if you're familiar with that, in this comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, I'm often reminded of, of young Calvin trembling in fear over the unseen monsters under his bed. Remember those? And, and he would, he would uh, have this debate with his parents. He, he would craft excuses as to why it was not wise to send their only son to bed at such a dark hour with such danger lurking under the bed. You remember those? That's how we approach the dark. We're afraid of what we cannot see. Jesus here in this text, uh, he's continuing here encouraging his disciples not to be afraid of the dark. He's sending out his twelve apostles on a dangerous mission, isn't he? He's he's letting them know I'm sending you out to preach the gospel, and it's not going to be a a joyride. It's not going to be romance. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be real. You're going to be hated on my account. In verse twenty-five, we looked at this last week. Remember, Jesus is is challenging the the disciples in verse twenty-five that if they call the master of the house Beelzebul or the devil, how much more will they malign you who are members of my household? Now when we look in verse 26, he's continuing this same thought. Continuing today, Jesus challenges his twelve not to fear them. Who are them? Them are, continuing in verse 25, those who call Jesus Beelzebul, those who challenge the gospel, Those who are going to come against me will come against you, Jesus is saying. So have no fear of them. Those who would falsely accuse you for aligning with Beelzebub, or falsely accuse you for aligning with the works of the devil that I, the Son of God, am challenging you to do. They're going to distort this ministry, this mission that I'm calling you to, and they're going to malign you. They're going to attack you almost to the point of saying, you're not of Jesus, you're not of God, you're of the devil. And Jesus is saying, that's just expect it, it's coming. As you preach the truth, there will be those who come against you for doing so. And so he says here in verse 26, do not be afraid of them. So the main point of this passage, if you take nothing else away from this text, verses 26 through 33, The main point I think that we need to see here, the main point that I think God is trying to get us to see is that Jesus emboldens his disciples not to fear that which stands against the truth. Now that's easy to say and much harder to trust. Amen? So again, the main point, Jesus is emboldening his disciples, and if he's challenging his disciples here in Matthew 10, we are his disciples as well, so these words are for us not to fear that which stands against the truth. Don't allow the power of someone or something who is living in lies to threaten you or to stop you from preaching the truth. Now, truth is God's truth no matter Where we find it, if it is true, genuinely true, it is God and His truth. Even if pagans have some hint of truth, and they do, they may miss where the source of the truth comes from, but even pagans, if they preach the truth or speak the truth, it's really God's truth, and the pagans don't even understand that it's God's truth, but it's truth. What's the definition of truth? Truth is very simple. Truth is that which aligns with and agrees with reality. If anyone ever challenges you and asks you, what is truth? That's the simplest definition. Truth is that which agrees with and aligns with reality. So if someone claims that I feel like I'm a woman, yet they are biologically a man, that's not reality. You see the point? Does that resonate today? Okay. What is Jesus saying here? Truth is always light. And these disciples, when they preach the truth, they're going to dispel the darkness. And when they do so, fear can come. Fear in that authority that tries to come against the light is fear that's not necessary because darkness cannot overpower truth. And if we get nothing else from this text, let's go away with that. Darkness lies that which goes against reality has no power or authority over God and Jesus Christ and his gospel message, which is real and which is true. You see, Gospel Jesus's gospel message—the message that we can be redeemed from our sins—and Jesus has come to restore the fallen world—is a reality. It's not some imaginary uh, lie or figment of our imagination. That's why it's true. Let's take a look here in verse twenty-six. Jesus says, so have no fear of them, those who come against the truth, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. The words of Jesus here in this verse are words that they are often repeated throughout his ministry. You're going to find him say this same teaching in other places throughout his ministry so if you're taking notes in your Bible verse 26 is one that you can highlight and know and connect it to other gospel accounts it's it's a repeated theme of Jesus nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known we find this in other met, uh, areas of the of the gospels where and particularly where Jesus is is persevering against attempts to smother his ministry or attempts to smother the gospel word, this is where you're going to find this teaching. Mark chapter 4, verses 22 through 23, here's what Jesus says. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Why is this important? Because Jesus is repeating this idea of nothing is hidden that will be revealed. Nothing nothing stays hidden that is to be known. The mystery of the faith, the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, is that for all of human history, there has been this undercurrent, this this mysterious understanding of what is right, but somehow we live in in a world that doesn't feel right. And the mystery is this, that God from the very beginning of time, even before time, from the very beginning of all creation, knew that He would send His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem it. That's a mystery. The fact that Jesus Christ comes to die on the cross to save us from our sin is not a plan B of, oops, okay, I created the universe and something went wrong, now what do we do? Jesus, God doesn't have that it's a plan B. That's the mystery that we're talking about here. That which is hidden, even in the, as, as the world that we live in throughout all of human history has existed in this fallen state, there's a mysterious hidden truth that the world is trying to cover up, and that truth is that there is a true Savior, Jesus Christ, a true creator God who is in control of it all, even though it's broken and fallen. And so what Jesus is saying here in verse 26 is that nothing that is true will remain hidden in the dark. And he repeats that throughout all of his ministry. If you're taking notes, I told you Mark chapter 4, verses 22 through 23, but also if you're taking notes, Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 12, Jesus is addressing this same idea. We're not going to go there today. But so when, when the apostles, these 12, see the gospel message, as they go out as Jesus is sending them, here's why Jesus is saying this in verse 26 and following. As these disciples go and preach the gospel, and they, are, they, they receive pushback, the world, the sinners, those who follow Beelzebub in reality, who twist truth and, and challenge them and say, you're just really of the devil too. When they receive that pushback, Imagine being an apostle, being sent by Jesus. You've been with Jesus in intimate settings, and now Jesus, the Son of God, is trusting you to go preach the gospel. And you go out with energy and excitement, and you go preach the gospel, and suddenly you find opposition. And and you're, and you're openly despised and spat upon and beaten. Not only that, these apostles, when they go and preach the gospel and they're despised, they may actually begin to see that the fruits of their labors result in small return. And then they may be feel dis- disgruntled. They may feel discouraged. Anybody here ever face that? You want to share the gospel with somebody you know, you want to share the gospel with coworkers or family, someone that you care deeply with, about and they spit in your face. How does that make you feel to go and preach the gospel again? You're going to be let down. And So the words of Jesus here, I think, are exactly what that is. He's encouraging the the, the apostles here that they're going to be apt to despair. Please don't throw away your hope. Don't throw away the doubt of your calling. I'm calling you to this. And so Jesus meets this doubt. With words of courage in the midst of fear. Isn't that powerful? So let me encourage you if you are feeling disgruntled, if you feel despair because no one's listening to you, bookmark this chapter for a season. Come back and read this for a little bit. And say, well, Jesus was encouraging his apostles as well. Maybe he's encouraging me not to weaken, not to, not to have fear to have courage amidst the fear. Don't allow fear to come from the dark forces of evil that want to quench this truth. Don't allow it. Don't let it beat you down. Don't let it crush your spirits. Now, the latter half of verse 26 seems to be a common proverb here. When you look at verse 26, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. It's almost as if Jesus is repeating a common teaching of the day. Um, although Jesus doesn't really cite Proverbs chapter 26, verse 6, he's not quoting that directly. The idea here in Proverbs 26 is the same idea here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. The theme of wisdom in the Proverbs helps us see what Jesus is expressing. In in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 6, speaking of the fool, right? You ever been challenged by a fool? I know that's we're not supposed to use that word. That's not a nice word. We're not supposed to call people fools. I'm sorry. There's a lot of fools out there. And let's just also admit that every one of us have acted foolishly more so than we'll admit in public. Amen. Proverbs chapter 26, speaking of the fool, though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. What does that mean? That's words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Wisdom observes that eventually the fool will be exposed. Eventually the hatred of the fool it cannot triumph forever. Why is that important? Why is that wisdom from the Old Testament and the wisdom through the New Testament? Why is that important for us in relation to coming up against dark forces? It's because The perceived power of darkness and evil will not last forever. The wisdom also in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 21 through 23, says this, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he will go away again. Neither the wicked nor the righteous can hide from God's sight. And if you are in wickedness, if you are in evil and darkness, you may think that you are getting away with it. Yet the wisdom of the Proverbs and the wisdom of Jesus Christ here is this. If you are preaching the truth of the gospel and you are spreading the light, please take courage that even that which is coming from the darkness will not last. Even God, in His sovereignty, sees all things. He is in control of all things. He sees the wicked and the righteous at the same time. None of it is hidden. And the truth will always show itself. That's something that I have learned in in my latter years here. In recent years, I should say. I'm not that old yet. I mean, I'm getting there, okay? But in recent years, here's what I've come to, even in my personal life, I've come to find comfort in the fact that if there are lies being spoken, or if I'm in a group of people and they're speaking things that as I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking, none of this makes sense, I don't have to fight very hard because eventually truth will reveal itself. If somebody accuses you, of doing something or saying something that you didn't say, didn't do, or perhaps didn't mean, maybe you need to apologize, but maybe you weren't even there when they're accusing you of doing something or they accuse you of saying something that you didn't say. There's no reason to get all all uppity about it. Eventually, truth will reveal itself. If there's a conflict that you're in the midst of, truth will reveal itself may not happen right away, but in time, truth will always reveal itself. And I think that's the wisdom that we're seeing in the Proverbs. That's the wisdom that we're seeing here from Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Now let's look here at verse 27. Jesus continues, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, what does this mean? We understand in the gospel accounts, and we'll see this in Matthew's gospel as we continue, but also in other gospel accounts. We know that Jesus spent intimate time with his 12 regularly. He points out here the intent of his methods of teaching. There were clearly times of private instruction between Jesus and his disciples, times of instruction and insight that others would not receive. We see scenes of this type of ministry in Matthew 13. We'll get to that here in a few weeks. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is shown teaching the public in parables. But as he's teaching the public in parables, he spends time in private with his 12 explaining the parables. Those are good examples of this intimate time of teaching. Here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, that's what Jesus is referring to. He, he's pointing out that the times of secret counsel between him and his twelve are meant to proclaim, are meant to be proclaimed loudly and publicly. Just because we have our private times together doesn't mean that you hold these times to yourself. I expect you and I hope that you will proclaim loudly in public from the rooftops what I am teaching you in private counsel. Nothing that, re- that is hidden will remain hidden forever. Not just lies about you, but also the truth that I am teaching you. It's not going to remain quiet forever. Even though we're starting out here in intimate times of silence and, and in darkness together in quiet, I want you to take what I'm teaching you and it will be made public and loudly. You will preach it from the rooftops. You see that? So there's, there's a double meaning here that Jesus is talking about. Just as the secret sins of foolish men are going to be revealed, likewise, that truth that has been mysteriously hidden from all of human history is going to be rightly and publicly proclaimed for all to hear. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. You see that? It's like an if-then. <laughs> if the mystery of the faith is hidden, it will then be made public in its time. Don't be afraid of that process. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, preach the gospel from the rooftops, preach it loud, preach it long, preach it in public. The truth of the gospel cannot remain hidden no matter what the forces of darkness try to say. It will overcome the darkness and the sin of the world, period. That's what Jesus is encouraging us with. Does that give you hope? I hope so. Let's look here in verses 28 through 31. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus now, he 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 comes and he, he, he presents two things here for avoiding fear. Two examples of what God the Father values and two examples of how we are to stand up here. Verse 28, there are those who fear the power of other men, right? They fear harm that can come from others. Anybody here ever been afraid of what someone else can do to you? It's possible. I mean, there is wisdom there. Take wise counsel and keep the doors of your car locked if you're in a strange place, just do so, all right? When when you're walking through the parking lot, especially ladies, if if you're walking through the parking lot at night, I know Nancy has uh, mentioned this on a Wednesday night before, she wants to watch after the young girls that works for her at Belk's as they're closing the store. They don't walk to their cars alone. There's wisdom in that, okay? But think about this. Jesus is saying, do not fear the power of other men over you. I mean, we should be prudent in being cautious about physical assault, but Jesus does not condone naive attitude to you. What he's saying is, these words are directed to the apostles who will be assaulted for preaching the gospel. That's the context here. The fear of the damage that can come from another man can paralyze this passion and zeal of the apostles. So Jesus is saying here in verse 28, do not fear what others will say about you. Don't let it paralyze you into not proclaiming the gospel. But think about this. The apostles face death for their preaching. I'm thankful that we live in a pretty safe culture. I don't know that somebody's going to kill us for preaching the gospel. Now, it could happen, but we have missionaries around the world who face it on a daily basis. We have Christians in India right now. that People I'm talking to right now, in India right now, I mean, even the years that I've been in India doing missionary work, they, I mean, the Hindu priest will come and slaughter Christians in their homes. It's a regular occurrence. You see, so we have Christian brothers and sisters in the world today who face the penalty of death every day. In the United States, honestly, we're blessed. It's, it's changing, but we are blessed. Amen? But well, let's think about this here in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. What Jesus is saying here in that part of verse 28 is, do not fear those who can kill the body only. Why? Because men have no power over other men. You're both mortal. You're both going to die eventually. So don't elevate the power of someone else over you. He or she is also mortal too. But think about this. In our social context, why do, what is the one thing that we fear the most? I mean, we don't have the fear of death as Christians in our country right now, but let, let me, if you just listen to the pastor here for just a second. The one thing that I hear the most that most Christians and even members of this church body have come to me privately talking about, here's the one thing that I hear that we all fear the most. One of the, one of the things that we fear the most is what people say about us on our social media accounts. Am I hitting home here? Instead of, Jesus is talking about physical death here, but one of the biggest things that we are actually consumed with and we will lose sleep over is what someone has said about us on our social media accounts. It drives us insane. If the world that we live in, in other words, if our primary existence is lived online, of course we're going to feel that. What one person says about us, whether they like what we've said or dislike what we've said or post something nasty about us on Facebook, is that the end of the world? But it does crush us, doesn't it? Here's my challenge to us. Think think about this. What is truth? Truth is that which aligns with and reflects reality. Is the online world reality? Yet we're worried about what someone says in the online world. That's not even real. Therefore, it cannot be true. Now, y'all are quiet. The pastor has crushed some toes here. But that's the one thing. As I was wrestling with this passage, I said, How how can we connect this to our reality? Our everyday existence. When we read this and we're worried about someone harming us, what what comes to mind, what, what harms us the most in our current age is. Oh, somebody sent me a nasty message on Facebook. Woohoo! turn off Facebook. It's not reality. That's a good place for an amen, Baptists, okay? You see our point here? One person threatens another. It's part of the human condition. One person threatens another. One is powerful over another. One is weaker and alarmed by the other. Both are mortal. Both can die. And Jesus is saying here in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He points out truth here, something that's more real than our fear of social media comments. The body of the the human being can die, yet no one can kill your soul. Why are you worried about it? The only one to fear is he who can end both life in the body and life of the soul. Here's what Augustine says. I love how he comments this. Let us fear that we may not fear. That is, let us fear prudently that we may not fear vainly. Fear with wisdom and prudence. Do not fear that which is vain and not worth it. Fearing about. There is prudence in fear, yet we take fear to a level that is really just a vapor or a wind. Like, like the preacher in Ecclesiastes say, all is vanity. <laughs> we take our level of fear to that level. And it's really just, Jesus is saying here, it's vain, it's worthless, it's as valuable as a vapor in the wind. Fear that. One powerful authority who has power to kill both the body and the soul. Don't fear man who has only power to kill the body. Now, trust me, I don't want my body to die at the hands of some idiot. Okay? That, that wouldn't make me feel good. If somebody came and harmed me or harmed my family, prudently I want to be wise and cautious and protective. Yet in the end, the Christian whose body dies has a greater hope knowing that their soul lives forever by the promise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But look here in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Jesus responds to this lesson about fear of death with the reason that he has called us not to fear other men. God values us above all things. Value is the key here. If someone threatens another, how much do they value them? If someone comes and threatens you, how much value do they have of you? Do they value you at all if they want to threaten you? Yet, if someone cherishes another, How much does that show their value of them? God Almighty, the one who counts even the hairs of our head, cherishes us and values us above all things. And if that's the truth, and it is, what do we have to fear? Jesus observes here in verse 29 that if two sparrows are valued at a few pennies, and really, that's a fraction of a day's wage at this time. It was, it was just literally pennies, a fraction of a day's wage. This little sparrow cannot die unless even the Father in heaven permits it. Now, why is this imagery of the sparrow here? I mean, you, there is a connection here in Leviticus chapter 14 in the Mosaic law about sacrifice, particularly for the cleansing of a leper. The, the leper was to bring a bird. Uh, to be sacrificed and sprinkled on them for cleansing, a sign of cleansing. But think about this. A sparrow is weak and vulnerable. A sparrow is one of the weakest creatures that God has ever made. And he protects that sparrow, but he even is in control of the sparrow. The sparrow will not fall to the ground apart from your father in heaven. And he even counts that small sparrow as valuable, but he counts us as his people, those who've been called by Christ to preach the gospel of even more value. He cherishes the messengers of his gospel. If we are called to be evangelists, and all Christians are, what Jesus is saying here is God the Father values you so much, he's going to protect you. Now, God may allow your body to be, to die. There's a history of martyrdom in the church, but oh, what a glorious message that was as their souls went to heaven and lived eternally. And even as the great martyrs of the church would die and the records that we have of many of these martyrs, even in their suffering of death, they knew their bodies were ending, yet their souls would continue forever. And what A gospel witness it was. Look here in verse 30. God the Father values us more. He values his chosen people more. He knows us well. He pays attention even to the numbers of the hairs on our head. And some of us in the room are losing even more and more every day. And God even knows where those hairs are that are now lost somewhere in the pillow. We don't know. God even counts those. Isn't that amazing? That's a wonderful thing. What it's saying here is, what Jesus is saying here in verse 30, is that God in his sovereignty controls all. God in his sovereignty has power. He he values his people and he will protect us. Nothing can overtake that sovereignty. Now look here in verse 31. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Do not fear standing firm for the faith. That's what Jesus is saying here. God values, values you more than many sparrows. We are of more value. Don't fear standing firm for the faith against those who have no power over God himself who is sovereign. Don't fear these men who come against you and come against the gospel. They have little power in relation to the power of your God. Don't fear them. To acknowledge Christ before men who threaten you actually shows devotion to the gospel. It shows bravery. It shows honor. It actually shows faith in the midst of perseverance. Ponder that for a minute. Faith. Evidence by confidence, faith, evidence by the, by the bravery of standing firm, confidence in Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Let's move into verses 32 and following. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is speaking of confidence in our Lord, this confidence reflects our faith. When we give in to the fear of men, we pay no respect to our father. There's never been a time in human history where mankind did not rise up against God. It's always been that way from the beginning of the fall in in Eden. It's always been that way. There's never been a time that mankind has not stood up in opposition against our creator. It's always been that way. Satan himself will actually bring forth an imagination of monsters and giants and beasts who are at best figments of our imagination and not real. Yet that will cause us fear. That the history of stories around monsters and dragons and things is tied directly to the reality of Satan and the fall. But the only power that Satan has at best is to distort our imagination. He has no real power. The the definition of evil, biblically, is that which distorts the truth. That which distorts goodness is the definition of evil. Evil is not equal to the good at all. Matter of fact, without the good, there could be no evil because evil is just a distortion of the good. Now, good can exist apart from evil. That's what the definition of good is. It needs nothing else to define it. Yet Satan will take that and twist it and cause us to fear things that are not real. The best power Satan has is to cause our imaginations to run wild. Imagination of monsters under the bed. Imagination of, oh, what are they going to say about me on Facebook this week? Imagination is the root of fear, and that's the only power Satan has. So who do you fear more? Who do you trust more? This is what verses 31 and 32 and 33 show us. That Satan has no real power, nor do his followers. Those who follow the the, the power of Satan, those who follow the command of Satan, those who come against the gospel of Jesus Christ, The demons of hell may tempt us to fear, but in reality, they have no power over our Lord. So therefore, listen to this. They have no power over those who have faith in Jesus Christ, who have the faith to preach the message granted for them to proclaim. That's what Jesus is saying here. If God does allow evil men to gain any power over his people, that's even a sign of God's sovereignty even further. He does so simply to string along the evil until they, until God actually shows the world their deceit. God's sovereignty over evil men is this. I'm going to allow the evil people to think they have control, but in the end, who has control? God Almighty. In the end, the truth will be revealed. So think about this. God's sovereignty is even stringing, stringing along the evil people of the world coming against the gospel. Oh, you think you've got power? Oh, you just wait and see. <laughs> you see, I told you truth is always, always reveals itself. Now, verses 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus now commends his apostles, and he's commanding us too, that when the final judgment comes, we who are righteous in Christ will be acknowledged by Jesus himself before the Father in heaven. Now that is a truth and a future to grab hold of. If we are genuine Christians and we stand up for the truth and we do not deny our Savior before men, even evil men, we will be acknowledged before our Father in heaven by the Son. That's amazing. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord, those who deny Him, those who laugh at the gospel... Those who threaten the gospel messengers, that's you and me, what is their end? They will be denied before the Father. They will face eternal denial. And Jesus will not acknowledge them as his own. No hope, no eternal life, no eternal death. But think about this. Going back here, connecting uh, verse 28 to verses 32 and 33. The soul is immortal. The soul is immortal. It's it's an aspect of our being that will continue forever and ever and ever. Honestly, the soul cannot die in the spiritual sense. It cannot. But the soul can die within men when that soul embraces that which opposes the gospel. When the soul embraces debauchery, when the soul embraces embraces evil, then that soul denies Christ Jesus and that soul denies the message of salvation. In reality, that soul is already dead. There's no life left in it. That's what Jesus is saying here. So let's think about this. How do we we apply all this? Jesus is teaching in these verses to be ready for martyrdom. I don't want you to walk away with any other message. That, that, that's right there is the core of it. Jesus is preparing his apostles for martyrdom. We know that they all faced an, a death of martyrdom, save John the Beloved. He, we, we believe he died a natural death in exile, but even that was horrible and suffering. But they all were being prepared here for a martyrdom. But we don't prepare the church today for that at all. Jesus is preparing his disciples and his students that they must be bold and courageous for the truth. Yet we as the church are no longer bold and courageous. We want to be safe. Oh, don't do anything that will rock the boat in the church congregation because then no one will come back. Everybody heard that in the church before? You're not going to hear that here. Amen. We all collectively agree as a congregation. We're going to stand firm for the truth of the gospel. We're not going to be mean to people. We're going to be kind. We're going to be gracious, but we're not going to stand. We're not going to sit down and lay down in the face of opposition. His desire, in other words, confessing Jesus Christ is not a trivial matter. If you take nothing else away from this passage, take this away too. Confessing Jesus Christ is not trivial. It's the most important message any Christian can relay. It's imperative to the proper worship of God to confess Jesus as Lord. We're not truly worshiping our Lord apart from confessing Christ. Would you agree, Nathan? Nathan? If we're not confessing Christ in our singing, we're not not worshiping. If we're not confessing Christ in our lives, we are not worshiping daily. Confessing Jesus Christ as the true Savior of the world, confessing Jesus Christ as the one who has redeemed us and can redeem others, it's a godly exercise. It's a spiritual discipline. If we are not practicing that, we might as well not even be practicing the discipline of prayer. See my point? Many of us will practice the discipline of Bible reading every day and we'll practice the discipline of praying every day, but we do not practice the spiritual discipline of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. That's not a daily discipline of ours. And Jesus is telling us here in this text, speak boldly about my message of redemption to the world. That's a spiritual discipline that I am thinking that would be very helpful for us to practice daily. What Jesus is telling his disciples here in this passage, I think is very important. How often does the Christian cower in fear of the unknown or how often does the Christian cower at the evil of our day? How many of us are afraid of the evil forces out there? I mean, it's it's part of us. Jesus is saying, don't fear. We often fail to heed God's word and we cower in fear of offending the offended. Oh, we don't want to offend those. Can I just be real direct with you? How many of us in the world, or how many people, some of you may be this, how many people in the world do you know are always offended? Not me, but I mean, I know some folks. I mean, they're always offended. So no matter what you say that's true, it's going to offend them because they're going to find something to be offended about. So why should we be afraid to offend the offended? That's what Jesus is saying here. We often cower in fear of this pushback that comes when we say anything of the gospel. We're afraid of being honest about our Christianity to our friends, to our co-workers, to our world around us because we're afraid of what they're going to think about us. And Jesus in this text is saying, Do not fear that. Instead, have a respectful fear and devotion to the one who created you. God Almighty, the Father in heaven. We don't fight back with the same threats that the evil of the world does. This is what I also want us to see. We do not fight back against the threats of evil with the tactics of evil. We don't get angry and violence the way the world does. Yet how many Christians do we know right now are collecting weapons in their basement to take back the nation for Christ? I'm going to let that settle for a minute. We don't use the methods and the tactics of the evil world to fight back against it. We have a kingdom... Inside of us, Jesus Christ says in the Gospels that the kingdom of heaven resides within his people. We don't need to go out and fight the world the way the world fights. We have something stronger. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the kingdom of heaven residing in us. We stand firm with peace. We stand firm with kindness. We stand firm against the evil of the world with confidence. We don't need anything else. If they kill us, we're going to heaven. What a witness. We have confidence in Christ. That's the point here. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out with a message to preach. Have no fear. In other words, have confidence in me that I am covering you with my protection and my grace. We have confidence that God the Father in heaven knows us so well. He knows each hair on our head. He knows us intimately. That is a confidence that brings us boldness and strength and courage. Christians are sent to preach the gospel with confidence in our Lord. You need nothing less. Confidence in the truth. Confidence that this world is not our home. We have an eternal home waiting for us, don't we? We have an eternal judgment to stand before. How will Jesus Christ, our advocate before the Father, speak of you when that glorious day of the Lord comes? Does he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Does he acknowledge us before his Father in heaven? He or she, they're one of mine. That's the confidence we have. So have you stood with confidence in our Lord? Have you stood in confidence when proclaiming the gospel? Or have you even proclaimed the gospel recently? Have you spent more time in worry and fear of what people say about you or how they're going to think about you? Do you spend more time in worry and fear over your internet lives, your social media comments, than in trusting our Lord? Have you spoken well about our Lord? Lately. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit settle there for a second. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would cause us all to soak in the words of your son here. That number one, we have to remember that we have been given a very special message to give to the world. But the fallen evil world is going to push back against that message. They're going to push back against us. And in doing so, really, they're pushing back against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your son. But we have been commanded to preach the word in our lives, in our actions, even in our speech. And I pray, God, that you would forgive us when we have allowed the fear of men to become stronger than our confidence in you. We're all sinners in that. And so, God, I pray that you would love on everyone in this room, everyone who is even hearing these words, who have heard the reading of your word. I pray, God, that you would love them and bring compassion upon them. And forgive them for when they failed you, but Lord, that you would also cause them to stand boldly with confidence, not with an angry aggression, but with a peaceful strength that only our Savior Jesus Christ can give. That is stronger than any words that we could muster. It's definitely a stronger. It's a stronger pushback against the world. It's because you are true and your message of reconciliation through Jesus Christ is true. We don't need to fear anything. So God, I pray for your blessing in this church. I pray for your blessing on us and you would challenge us to share the gospel now and not be afraid of it. Use us, Father, as you will, and open those doors as you can only direct. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.